0: Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktora at gmail.com. And, of course, I will answer as many as I can. Or you can go to our webpage at letstalktora.net. Let's, no apostrophes, letstalktora.net. And you can find the archives, the news shows, you can leave questions, you can leave comments, and of course, the all-important donate button. You can go ahead and donate. We have different levels to donate to help the show continue to grow and to take care of our costs here. And as always, all donations are greatly appreciated. If you like a shout-out, we can do that for you. If you like to keep it anonymous, that also, of course, works. So... Next week, probably by the time you hear it, the show it's this week. Um, I have a bar mitzvah coming up. My son will become bar mitzvah. It's a very exciting time. A lot of family coming in. Um, a lot of preparations. Of course, most of the preparation is on the mother. Because she's got to take care of the food and the arrangements and the housing and the and the setups. And, and all, all the administrative stuff you can imagine. And I show up and everything is taken care of. Yes, I had to study with my child and I have to prepare him for his Torah reading and for his speech and and, uh, all that kind of good stuff. And I get to stand there and be the proud father. But behind the scenes, you and I both know that's where all the work is really being done and we are looking forward and you're all invited. If you didn't get an invitation, don't worry about it. Just show up in Detroit. You can't miss it. In any case, we were trying to finish a story at the end of the last show. I must finish the story, and then we'll get into the next part of this week's story portion, or the Torah portion of Yisro, of Jethro. And we, we said that Jethro, he heard and he came, and it sounds like something got him inspired that he knew he had to show up. Which nobody else was inspired. Like, how come only Yisro would sound like he's the only guy that knows to come? Why? So it's not used to about a Russian soldier. He was on the front lines, and he told God, he said, if you can make a sign and get me out of these front lines, I'm going to go back to to school. I'm going to go to yeshiva. I'm going to study Torah. And all of a sudden, the shot rings out, and it hits his finger, and he faints from the pain. They bring him to the hospital. And after being in the hospital for a couple of weeks, it's clear his finger is paralyzed. His trigger finger is paralyzed. So he, uh, no use on leaving a guy in the front lines who can hold a gun but can't shoot one. Like that's a pretty big waste. So he's released from the army. This is great. This God, you know, people talk to God, and I think we all should be talking to God. But sometimes we we think. You know, because we don't hear God's side of the conversation, we sort of create the whole conversation and we do whatever we want. And that's what's happening in this story. This guy says, God, I, I know I made a deal with you. I know I made a deal that I'm going to go to yeshiva and study Torah. But, you know, I have three months left of school. I'm going to go back to school first and, uh, and then I'll go to yeshiva. Right. That's fine. Right. Now, it's, you know, God might be answering, but he's not listening so he goes to school, and of course, as we say, you strike when the fire is hot. If you make a commitment and you delay, you push off, you procrastinate, it's all over. It's not happening. That's life. That is simply life. I know myself. We have a raffle campaign going on in school now. We just finished another campaign. that we pushed off because of October 7th, all the stories in Israel. And, uh, you know, you got to get yourself into it. So we, we just had a midwinter break. I, I just wasn't ready. Uh, my brain was unfocused. I said, I'm getting back into it. it was. A, I, I wrote myself a list of things to do. And on that list, as I said, start making phone calls. Start sending emails. Start texting. I saw like, 13 books already today. Because I said, that's it. I'm moving forward. You procrastinate, you can procrastinate forever and get zero done. have great intentions. So this guy says years later, he says, I blew it. I never went back to Yeshiva to learn because I, I didn't go when I said I was when I said I was gonna go. Okay, that's the story. I had to finish up that story from the last show. But I told you in the last show, I said I wanna get into the middle part, part two of this week's story portion. So it says, a very famous verse, first it says, they camped in the desert, and then it says, he camped. So first it's they, then he. Who's he? So there's a lot of different explanations why, why we change the, the grammar from the they the, to he. Some say, Rebbeinu Mechaia says, that first they arrive in the desert. And then they got closer to the mountain. Others say it was like an order, right? As they, the general population, was going to be further back. The he, the more important people, were going to be more up front. Raji says one of the most famous explanations. Raji says that this time when we camped, we got there as a they. But when we camped, we were a he. We were a he. A one, we were a unit. We were all there with the same intention, the same thought process, the same purpose, the same goal. We were all there to get the Torah from God. And therefore, and necessary, we were be'achtos, we were we were together, we were at peace, we were one with everyone, which allowed us to be able to receive the Torah. Um, there's also a like this that we were that because we were all friendly with each other, we were one. We deserved to receive the Torah. So, um, so that's arriving at Mount Sinai. So it says it's interesting to note, by the way. Uh, this is also debatable. How often did Moses go up and come down the mountain? Rashi says he went up once a day and down once a day. And he was going to get the message. He was going to speak to God on top of the mountain. You have to wonder why he has to go up the mountain to speak to God, like, like God come and talk to him. But it it seems maybe that's what the Jewish people needed to know. We're getting the Torah on Mount Sinai. This is the place that God is talking to Moses one-on-one. So we're going to get used to the fact that that's how the Torah is going to be given. Otherwise, just give it to Moses right here in the middle of everybody. But I guess God's presence is coming down, and we can't be right next to God's presence. So Moses is going to go up every day and down every day, but that means if God gives a message— so the Jewish people's response won't be given till the next day, and then God's response could be given that day, and the Jewish people's response will be the next day. That's the, that's the give and take of what's going on. So it says, right, it's interesting. It says God called out to Moses, and, and some say everyone heard when God said, everybody heard when God said to Moses, come up the mountain. In other words, this is not Moses on his own deciding how things should be done. It has to be clear to the entire Jewish people that God's telling Moses to come up and to go down, and everything that's taking place is taking place because that's the way God wants it to happen. So one of the—this happens to me in this Torah portion. I know I keep saying famous. is multiple famous verses that that people talk about because there's just so many beautiful lessons— so you have you have a you have double languages. It says, <laughs> say to the children of Israel." The which also means to say to the sagid Yaakov. I'm um, sorry, say to the base Yaakov, to the house of Jacob, and uh, the, Yaakov, the Jacob, and uh, tell Israel. So, uh, base Yaakov. Bas Israel like what's going on but hey Israel, like, why are we changing the phrases the the way we're referring to the Jewish people? so again, there's different answers. Rashi says that Moses had to speak to the women first. It had to be clear to the women yes, it's true that that many commandments do not apply to women men have more commandments than women men have torah study and and it's not to say women don't pray, but but the style of prayer, um, women could pray, but the idea of a synagogue, again, for the most part, is for men. And, um, and the phylacteries, the tefillin, and the tzitzes, there's, there's a lot of things that do not apply to women. But the women have to know that their place is so important, so integral to the continuation of the Jewish people First of all, the fact that the Jewish people have survived in Egypt was only because of the Jewish women. They we've talked about this in the past. They made sure their husbands stayed married. They made sure there were still children. Um, they 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 took care of everything to keep to keep the family together. So first of all, they deserve for that alone, they deserve to be spoken to first. And second of all, they have to know where they where how important they are in the Jewish family in the setting. How is that? So I asked my class. I have a bunch of third graders. So I said, you know, how many of you, your younger siblings, does your father study with them? Like, these boys, already, their fathers are studying with them. Even though I told them my mother did my homework, my father didn't. But generally speaking, fathers are not really studying with children until they start getting a little older. When they're really little, the father has nothing to say to them. It's the mother that's taking care. So if the mother doesn't inculcate into her child the beauty of Jewish life, the beauty of Torah study, when the child gets older, and the father says, okay, I'm ready, kid says, ready for what? what do I, I don't need you. What do I need you for? I'm not interested. The only way that the father will be able to study with his child is because the mother raised the child from the youngest age, to want and desire and know that there's a sweetness to studying Torah. There's other explanations. Um, there's, there's say to, to the Jewish people what happened, tell them about what's going to be in the future. Um, say to those people that some people are, are deserving, some people are not deserving. There's all kinds of different explanations. So I'm going to go drop out of order because I don't want to miss out. But um, I did want to take time. I don't want to go through the Ten Commandments. But I was discussing with a friend last night. talking about mothers over here, mothers, fathers. So I was studying with a friend last night, Steve, and we were talking about children. And we we were talking about the concept that when... This is my friend, Steve. We're both, you know, he's a little older than me. He's in his uh, high 60s, maybe in uh, my high 50s. When we were kids growing up, you didn't yell at your parents. There was no such thing. You didn't demand from your parents. You didn't yell at your parents. Um, you, either happy or not happy, you accepted whatever they wanted and you listened. That's at least how I grew up. Well, children today, now they probably said the same thing when they grew up and their children. I'm sure. I, I, I don't doubt it at all, but when I said it over in class, it was pretty funny. The idea of children having temper tantrums and demands on parents and, and yelling and screaming at parents if they're not happy with the situation. That seems to me to be a different generation. And my own children do it to me. I'm not like, you know. And uh, I was talking to my friend, and he's has, has had some challenges with some of his children as well. And he says to me, you know, I think the answer is why the command of honoring your parents is in the first tablet, not the second. You see, the second tablet is clearly um, all kinds of commands between man and his fellow man. Don't steal, don't don't live with a lay down allowed to live with, uh, don't uh, don't steal, don't kidnap, don't be jealous, uh, don't testify falsely, all human relations. Well, the first five are all between man and God. Believe in God, don't do idol worship, don't swear with God's uh, name in vain, keep the Sabbath. And then we have honoring parents. So where does honoring parents fit in? It's like a very interesting thought. Where does honoring parents fit in? So usually the answer to that question is that if I since there's three partners in a child, there's the mother, father, and then God, so first you learn to honor your parents, and that will help you learn to honor God. But he had a totally, totally different um, thought. He says, he says to me, you know, children are good at disappointing parents. It happens. More often than, than we were like, of course, we're very proud of our children. Yes, yes, of course. But children disappoint parents. Children do not always act with the proper respect to parents. Certainly children get married, and then they could pretend that they don't even know who their parents are. Children have the ability to disappoint parents. But the parent still loves the child. Child does something wrong in school. You know and I know the child was wrong. You know He's guilty you're going to defend your child anyways. They do something wrong, you defend them. No matter what happens, all the mafia stories, a parent loves a child. And it's important for children to know that. It's important for children to know that no matter what happens, no matter what they do, they can always go home, their parents' door will always be open, they'll always love them unconditionally, and it doesn't matter what went wrong, the parents will help them fix it, they won't help them fix it, but at least the child knows there's that support system, there's, there's the parents there, the care, love that child. And God is exactly the same. We disappoint God. He expects more from us. He was hoping for us to be better. Uh, we didn't do the command that we were supposed to. We didn't act the way we were supposed to. But God still loves us. We can always, always go back to God. So the lesson of honoring parents in the first tablet with the other things that talk about relationship between man and God is to say that just like parents, no matter what the child does, again, it's a little bit of a backwards way of looking at it because really this command is to is to tell a parent to honor the child, right? But the fact of the matter is that this, the concept of honoring parents Right. Is parents love that child no matter what the child does. And God loves us no matter what we do. And that's saying we're not going to get punished. Parents can also punish. Right. Like that, that happens. Right. That's not the point of what we're trying to say. We're just trying to say that the reason why a, a, a that, that honoring parents is with relationship towards me and God is because there's a lot to learn from honoring parents between me and God. Okay. Interesting thought. I enjoyed it. Very interesting thought. Now, with that being said, um, I set over a cute uh, story. If it's true or not, I can't tell you, but the story is set over. So there's, I don't think any exist anymore. If they exist a very small amount, they're called the Karoyim. Karayim was a sect that basically came about um, probably after the destruction of the Second Temple. The truth is they probably existed even during the Second Temple, but they became powerful. In Babylonia, I believe, after the destruction of the Second Temple, they were called the Kara'im. The word Karayim comes from the word kara. Kara means to read, meaning they said we do not believe in the oral law, We only believe in the written law. I talk about this story in my class because we happen to have started the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the is the oral law. So they again, they have I mean you're stuck. You look at a verse, you, you have to have an explanation. There's a lot of stuff in the Torah that comes without explanation. But they believe that that they will explain the Torah more literal. They're not interested in what the rabbis have to say. And, uh, and they caused a lot of issues for the Jewish people. At this point, they don't exist. They're pretty much gone. Had the rabbis enacted certain things. the Quran's reason was they didn't want to listen to the rabbis. You don't want to listen to the rabbis. So you say, we don't believe in the oral law. We don't believe nothing you rabbis say. But the Quran themselves had to create their own rabbis to decide um, what they wanted to say. You have no choice. So... So there was some uh, ruler in the area, and he decided he's going to make a debate between the Karayim and the regular Jewish people. So the Karayim got to get a uh, pres- an older scholar, very presentable, very intelligent, and and he was on the Karayim side, and the Jews sent uh, I don't know just a regular fellow. I'm not sure why, but so goes the story. When the religious Jew walks in, he's carrying his shoes under his arm. And the ruler looks at him and says, you are so disrespectful. What do you think you're doing? Walk in front of the king with your shoes off. How dare you? So the Jew says, one second. Moses did it. When Moses speaks to God by the burning bush, God tells Moses take his shoes off. It's not unheard of. It's to show a sign of respect to take off your shoes. So I took off my shoes. So the king says, or the ruler says, "So why are you carrying them under your arm?" Oh, so it's—I tell you the truth, your Your Majesty. Um, By when when God gave the Torah, so the area was very holy, and the Jewish people took off their shoes and they left it behind. They go to Mount Sinai and they get the Torah and they go home, and their shoes are missing. You know why their shoes are missing? Because these Karoyim guys stole all their shoes. So we learn from there, whenever we want to take off our shoes, if there's going to be these Karoyim guys around, we carry it with us because we don't trust them. They're going to steal our shoes. The ruler says to the Karoy scholar, is this true? You stole their shoes? The Karoy says, your majesty, I, I guarantee you that story is not true. How can you prove to me it's not true? He says there were no Karayim when the Torah was given. The whole sect of the Karayim is a recent uh, revelation. The Karayim had been around I don't know fifty, a hundred years, not back when the Torah was given. Sederu so says, oh, so you Karoyim aren't the original. These Jews are the original. I guess we know who won the debate. So that's just a very interesting, um, cute story. But it does lead us to keep in mind that even though we're talking about the Ten Commandments in this week's Torah portion, we're talking about getting ready for the Jewish people to accept the Torah, accepting the Torah is not just the written Torah. Accepting the Torah means the written and oral. And there's multiple reasons why there has to be oral. It's, first of all, God doesn't want everyone to know all the rules and regulations. Second of all, it's not practical, right? You can't—and I, I could take a small book, and I got the Torah. You can't take—if you have to write everything, you can't carry around the library. So the Torah wrote what was necessary to be written, and the rest is the oral. So um, it says, interesting— It says, um, so many things to talk about, we're not going to have time, but okay. So one of the things that Moses comes and reminds the Jewish people is that God carried us on the wings of eagles. Why wings of eagles? So there's at least three interesting explanations. One is that an eagle is different than other birds. the eagle carries its babies in its wings, while other birds carry their babies like in their talons. Because other birds are afraid of the eagle swooping down, while the eagle is only afraid of arrows. So I was saying this to my class today; they had a hard time with this. Uh, we, we know that we know the arrow can go through the eagle's the eagle's wings. We know if you kill the eagle, then he's going to kill the babies. We know that. It's not the point. The point is that the eagle is protecting its babies, right? As an adult, right? If I'm protecting my children. Right, It doesn't mean that the robber can't first kill me and then go after my children. Of course he could. But as adults, we protect our children. That's what we do. So God says, I protected you when the Egyptians were chasing you by the Red Sea. So I put my cloud there and I protected you. It, it's, it's symbolic. It's not, it's not a good—it's not a, a perfectly good um, analogy because God's— um, cloud stopped all the missiles and boulders and arrows and spears while well, the eagle's not stopping anything for the most part. Um, the second answer is the eagle's a very fast bird. So God took us out of Egypt so fast or God brought us to get the Torah so fast it was as if we were carried on the wings of eagles we were flying to get there we had to go. And there's other answers, but we're not going to get there today. The music's playing. I hope you enjoyed it. It's short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all wonderful, wonderful sponsored listeners here. I can't do it without you. Tell you on the production team, we have Alan in the back today. And right, we have left to and food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.